Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. This is Matt. This is Ben. You're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. That was one word. Gravity Leadership Podcast. I did one word. Yeah. I've been tr- I've been working on that, trying to get yeah yeah down to one just one word. Just one word to make these yep. intros shorter. Yeah. Go 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 go. <laughs> we uh, got uh, Dennis Edwards on the podcast today. He's going to yes. chat about the Bible. If what you, even is the Bible anyway? Uh, basic Do instructions you even Bible? before leaving Earth. That's right. There's. There is, um, this is probably our last podcast in the series of Deconstruction, and Dennis helps carve a path through, mm-hmm. which continue, every generation has questions about the Bible, mm-hmm. and then people, um, I, you know, people who leave faith because they can't trust the Bible anymore, and then people who double down on what I think is an unhelpful way of seeing the Bible. Yeah. The reason, so a lot of people are walking through, we say this in the interview, but like a lot of people in our church even, uh have told us things like, I, I just can't read the Bible right now, or it's really difficult to listen to the Bible being read, especially if a passage comes up that's kind of triggery, like, yeah. you know, and so there's like uh, these old ways of kind of interpreting things, and uh, people aren't sure quite what to do uh, with these old readings of the Bible, so there's well, a temptation to just pitch it, um, but I think Dennis Edwards has a really, and he wrote, he wrote a book about it as well, but it's, it's a really good uh, way of framing like what the Bible is that I think opens up a new possibility for people who might be de- deconstructing yeah. uh, how to read the Bible, how to receive it as God's word. Yeah. So, so. Th- so let's get right into it. What do we, what do we have? We have any announcements? I don't think so. No, okay. we're doing, uh, we're, we, we are now that I think about it though, uh, about a month 
uh, five weeks from now, we're doing uh, some Enneagram stuff in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt, you're going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yep. Two kind of fun uh, cities to say. Yeah. Albuquerque and Kalamazoo. Albuquerque is a fun word. Yeah, you're going to be doing a parenting workshop down in uh, Albuquerque. Yeah, come see me. Yep. Or come see me in Kalamazoo if you're closer. Yep. Or if you like the Enneagram more. All right, here we go. like parenting. Dennis Edwards. Here he comes. Get ready. Peace. Dr. Edwards, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks. Can we call you uh, Dr. Edwards, Dennis? What do you prefer? You can call me Dennis. We're connected through social media, so I feel like we know each other now. We so. are. <laughs> yes. We've liked each other's posts, so we're That's practically right. family, is what you're That's saying. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we're talking with you today. We're, on a, we're doing a series on deconstruction, not in order to provoke it or to advocate for it, but just because people find themselves doing it. In the midst of it, it feels like a crisis. It feels like a loss. There's fear. There's yeah. nobody. Uh, I don't think anybody asks for it. I think it sort of happens to you. Yeah, it happens yeah. to you, and then you you wait. You find yourself uh, at the bottom of a box of bugles, wondering uh, what happened, and you know, just trying to make the angst stop. But we wanted to have you on because you've written a book uh, about the Bible. And before we get to that, and I tell you the title, like, uh, give us an introduction. What do you spend your time doing, Dennis? Yeah, great. Thanks. Well, I am an associate professor of New Testament at North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago. And, and I've only been at that post for about a year. Most of my career, I've been a pastor in urban settings, mm. Brooklyn, New York, Washington, D.C., and Minneapolis, Minnesota. And along the way, I taught adjunct for a lot of years um, in St. Paul at Bethel, I taught in Baltimore at the Ecumenical Institute of Theology under uh, Michael Gorman, who was my dean. So I've, d- I've done a lot of teaching and serving churches. I'm a husband, a father of four adult children, and a grandfather of, well, soon to be four uh, grandsons. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about being a pastor. Maybe this isn't the podcast for that. I also want to like gush about Michael Gorman. I have such a man crush on him. I just yeah, love like a theology, crush, like a theology yeah. crush on Michael Gorman. Everything he writes, I'm like, yes, this is it. Um, but today we're, we're going to, we want to talk to you about this uh, really small, but really helpful book that you've uh, just published called what is the Bible and how do we understand it? Uh, maybe just to start, uh, Dennis, uh, the Bible hasn't changed for 2,000 years, and we have been writing books on the Bible for at least uh, 1,900 years. Why do we need another book on the Bible? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, there are so many books, as you said, Matt, but I think one of the things that Harold Press, the uh, publisher of this book that's part of a series— they realize that we have people who are wrestling with with issues and trying to think through some issues and need at least a primer, some way to get into those issues. So I um, was really honored to be asked to do that. And as a pastor, I've seen people who who have uh, various thoughts about the Bible, and they're not necessarily going to dive into a big, thick, um, heavy book on scripture or on theology. They need somebody to help them get started. So yes. I'm hoping that my book is a gateway to some other books. Yes, that it's tricky to write a book that has theological depth, but accessibility to Jim and Jane in the pew. Yeah, and I, 
I feel like this book really does it not only for its it's succinct and brief, but it's it's also so accessible, Dennis, mm-hmm. and I think speaks to a lot of the questions that people have. Um, Thank you. Yeah, maybe to kick us off, uh, what you, what are some common misunderstandings about how we got the Bible we have mm-hmm. and what the Bible is for? Yeah, I think we have a lot of misconceptions, and some of the, some of them were part of how I was shaped, you know, coming up as a, a young uh, young person in church. But I think one of the issues is that people think that because we can go to the store and buy a, a book intact, you know, with leather bound and in English, that uh, that the Bible came to us that way, right, as one complete document. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe some people know it wasn't written in English, but. There are some people who think it was written in, you know, King James King English. James so, English. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. It so dropped it came out of heaven. One thing. God wrote it, dropped out of heaven. God just shipped it right to Zondervan. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one, one thought that people have. I think others realize that it may have come in parts, but that everything about it was done in a, uh, almost a, a dictatorial fashion, right? right? So you had the holy people who are in a trance and God for some reason needed their hands as if I couldn't write himself. So, <laughs> so there's a divine dictation kind of aspect to it. And I've, I kind of grew up with that, that, hmm. that these people just wrote as God was just whispering in their ear. And uh, so it takes sort of the human, human element. It really minimizes the human element yeah. because it's got a human element. There must be something wrong with it. So, right. so that, those are some misconceptions I think people hmm. have had. So I think of the Bible more as a library or anthology because there's different types of literature, those kinds of things that I think hmm. people don't often uh, see or understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the the, the dictation or oracle. It's kind of when I came to faith. That's sort of how I. That's sort of how I understood it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't and know. It if, was really important to defend. Like for example, this is where the concept of inerrancy comes in, where you had to. Uh, you had to defend the Bible against uh, these attacks that it was somehow less than perfect, yeah, uh, right. that it wasn't, uh, you know, that it was completely accurate because if God wrote something down, how could it ever have any errors in yeah. it? That kind of thing, right? Right. That's right. I mean, there's scripture that says it's impossible for God to lie. And so the way I was taught about inerrancy is that, you know, if there is a, um, a numerical or factual error or historical um, uh, error or, or, something that's not quite uh, exactly right, then that would be the same as God lying. Right. So mm. since it's impossible for God to lie, then the Bible must not contain any any inconsistencies or anything. Right. And, and and sometimes that paints you in a corner, of course, but, but that's <laughs> the way I was taught. Yeah, yeah. And then the dictation theory is, is kind of like, well, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but he's mostly out of quills. So he needs the human <laughs> to then be the stenographer from heaven. Yeah, Dennis? Yeah. Yes, that's right. I mean, that'll yeah, preach, I mean, right? Did you just come up with that yeah. phrase? Or is that a- I did. No, it just popped into my head. You know, I'm a pastor too. Dennis and I have that in common. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so then, Dennis, what um, if uh, now? Now, uh, this book isn't about inerrancy, but inerrancy is uh, kind of a dominant word that I think punctuates the culture of of evangelicals in America and how we're taught or supposed to understand uh, the Bible. Uh, so, if the Bible isn't God, meaning if the Bible and God are two separate things, but the Bible also isn't just this human document. That right. that uh, like chicken soup for the soul like stirs our hearts on a rainy day. 
you know? Right. How do you you then articulate, uh, how is it authoritative and how is it inspired? Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, I... Just to get the conversation started, I'd like to make an analogy when for Christians, when we think of Jesus, we think of Jesus as the God man, mm-hmm. as as human and divine. This, uh, you know, the theologians call it a hypostatic union, right? The hypostasis that Jesus is uh, can, has these dual natures, if you will. Mm-hmm. I like to see the written word as analogous to that, that there is a divine uh uh, element and a human element that work together to to um, communicate to us. Mm. So God is certainly there, right? I mean, all throughout the Bible does testify that it is God's word coming to us, right. but comes to us through human beings who get to stay human. <laughs> I mean, they they write in their language, they they communicate in a cultural way that's relevant for them, and they're writing in a way that reflects their own um, world and context. So it's a divine human collaboration, if you will. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. That's good. It's like a, it's a, this was an incarnational. I hear also an incarnational right. kind of analogy you're making there. Yes. Yes. Right. I mean, so it's divine word that comes to us in a way that we can understand, just like Jesus. I mean, it, the scriptures keep testifying how no human being can really see God and uh, and know God in God's fullness, right? But Jesus has made God known to us. So mm-hmm. in many ways, Jesus then takes what is uh, almost impossible for us to grasp right. and demonstrates it. But he still comes in a time, in yeah. a certain cultural you know, reality and, right. and, and historical moment, and the Bible does, does likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so now I'm I'm thinking too. You know, most most of the historical heresies as well are are heresy are mistakes about how we understand that union, right? Where either there's an overemphasis on the divine to the neglect of the of the human, or an overemphasis on the human to the neglect of the divine. And I think our misunderstandings of the Bible are similar. They seem to me. Yeah. Where you know we we've all talked about growing up with maybe a, an overemphasis on the divine, where we yep. did not. Uh, adequately honor the human element of what it what it means to have a Bible. Yeah, the, the fleshly yeah. incarnational Paul yeah. writing a letter from prison aspect. Of yeah, it. and I think that's what people begin then to deconstruct. Right, they begin to. So, so I was taught to read the Bible sort of in a flat way, meaning every verse has the same authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then, then when we begin to see, um, gosh, you really can't reconcile an eye for an eye with love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, for instance, right? Um, or God forgive them. Uh, Jesus prays for his enemies, but then in the Old Testament, we're supposed to pray for our enemies to die. Like mm. you know, like how do we how do we hold those together? So then the other end is basically just pick and choose, right? Just pick and choose whatever appeals to you, sort of based upon your own conscience or preferences, and just sort of you know, in a really uh, you know quiet way, just mm. sort of Marcionite the rest of it out, you know, just ignore it. But in your book, Dennis, you you help us navigate those two ditches by describing and unpacking what you call Christocentric hermeneutic. Mm, Can you... Uh, that's a those are big words. Right. Can you? Uh, is that uh, that's part of the? Is that the coronavirus? That is stuff? no no no. Oh, okay. This is not a. This has nothing to do with the disease. This has to do with how to read the Bible with Jesus. Sorry. And I'm wondering if you can help us uh, get a vision for what that means. I, I will. I will try uh, because it's it's really a a big thing yeah. in a in in a sense because this is the way I think early early Christians, but when we got to the Reformation, certainly became. Um, 
more more uh, serious about or clearer about. Mm. But I think it's always been the case um, as as the church was developing. How do we look at the Bible and see Jesus, or how is the Bible pointing us to Jesus? I will say though that even if Christocentric is a big term, just on a side note, that the book has a glossary. We try to explain oh, those yeah. terms in the back. It's in the back, yeah, right. <laughs> it's in the back. Um, but I will say this: is that from a Christian perspective, we see uh, that the the Older Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the First Testament, is is setting us up for Jesus. So in many ways, pointing us to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then we see in the New Testament, this testimony about Jesus, either descriptions of his life and his teachings in the gospels or reflection on his ministry in the letters and revelation. So we see Jesus throughout and that, and then that's not to uh, take away from a Trinitarian understanding of God. It's simply to say that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that in bygone times, God spoke to us in these different ways, including through the prophets, but in these latter days, he's spoken to us through his son. And the son is the very expression of God, the hypostasis, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus is the expression of God, then we need to understand as much as we can about Jesus and see how Jesus is, is, uh, uh, is the center, if you will, of what, of what the Bible is teaching, of, of who God wants us to see. Mm. So it's not, it's not to minimize any aspect of the Father or the Spirit. But it is to say that the that the testimony and teachings of Jesus become central, and yes. we can see that thread, you know, throughout the Bible. Yeah, I think that's really important. That's that's been a, such a key thing for me. And I, I mean, my sort of un—I haven't reflected on this a lot, <clears throat> so we'll see if this is right. But uh, I think the only reason we know about the Trinity is because of Jesus, right? Like Jesus yeah. event, like the reason. The reason we have the doctrine of the Trinity is because we reflected on what hap- what was happening in the life of Jesus, um, and so I don't see a bifurcation there between a focus on Jesus and a focus on the Trinity. They yeah, seem to be a very very and similar. There's thing. another book in the series on what's the Trinity, so oh, okay. I'll just look for that too in the Jesus Way series that will explore that notion more deeply. Okay. but I appreciate that. You're right. I mean, I don't think there's any contradiction or bifurcation, as you said. But, um, but, but I want to come back to that notion of the flat reading. I think yeah. one of the things that has happened over time, but I think it's been maybe a more recent phenomenon, but is recent meaning maybe 100 years or 200 years. Yeah, but, that's pretty recent. Um, when it comes but to is history. that people have been seeing the Bible almost in this magical way, right? Yes. So if I just read a verse and, and then I can use that verse to either provide some magic for myself or mm-hmm. almost as a curse against somebody else, right? Oh, yeah. So I use that I use that verse to you know denounce somebody else or minimize their thinking, um, and it misses the the bigger picture that God is communicating about Himself throughout the whole story, um, and it also um, uh, to get back at the example you were using earlier, Matt, that when we see the way God's operating in the Old Testament, even the judgment passage that are so hard to understand. I'm not going to pretend to say I've got all that worked out. But what I am saying is, is that by looking at the New Testament and seeing Jesus, at least provides me a lens through which I can go back and try to figure out those difficult passages. Yes. So so I don't want to uh, necessarily um, make the Bible always be fighting itself. But I do want to say that my my understanding of the Bible maybe gets a little clearer if I can yeah. see Jesus. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love 
and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. This is the testimony of the early church. You mentioned this as well, but but I think that that's what's been helpful for me is recognizing, oh, this is this is how this is was this was the instinct of the early church is to go mm-hmm. back and say cuz they were troubled by the same things we troubled by. You know, the, right. the judgment right. passages and all of the, you know, stuff that happened in the land of Canaan, all that kind of stuff. The early right. church fathers and mothers were disturbed by these things and uh, they weren't trying to write him out, but the reason they were disturbed is they were reading through the lens of Jesus. That's right. And so they were like, mm. "Wow, something else must be going on here." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other key thing that you just you just mentioned, kind of offhandedly there, Dennis, is that um, there's a like you said, I I don't pretend to know exactly what's going on back there, you know, in in some of those passages. So I think that like a humble hermeneutic is really necessary here as well to say, "Well, I I don't." I, you don't have to be certain about what's happening in the Bible to sort of still maintain that it is God's word and that we can receive it as such. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I remember being a young man, Dennis, in seminary, and I I was looking for a church where I could get solid teaching. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that was a that was a little um, euphemism for somebody who could be certain about the Bible and make me certain too. Mm. Yeah. And I yeah. I remember sitting through a Revelation uh, series where. This, this pastor would say, you've, you've heard all these people say you can't understand Revelation, and it's opaque and obtuse, and yada, 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 but I'm going to tell you what it means. And, and inside my little 27-year-old heart, I was so excited. You know, I was like, finally, finally, finally somebody's going to... Somebody figured it out. Um, and I remember sitting through that series, and it actually was that series that made me go, uh, I, I just realized this person, as they preached this series, were, they were flattening tensions, they were ignoring verses, they were making things... A harmonious that I felt like was a sleight of hand, mm. and I realized in that moment, like this entire endeavor to stop the wrestling and the tension of Scripture and to make it like super flat is actually unbiblical. <laughs> like, <laughs> ironically, like, ironically, like yeah. we see in the Old Testament, uh, all these different uh, wrestlings of who God is, and like the Book of Job and the Book of Jonah, and all these all these stories are Israelites like wrestling with God. Um, and I, I wonder, I wonder, as a pastor, Dennis, like as yeah. we as we're engaging people that are asking questions, who who maybe maybe are doubting the Bible or maybe have a idolatrous bibliolatry of the Bible, mm. like how do we navigate this with them with with charity and wisdom, uh, and and love? Wow, wow, that, there's a lot there, Matt. I mean, I I probably share some of that background perspective on the Bible too. I mean, I, I mean, as a younger guy I was in, in those kinds of settings and my confidence would go up when somebody was able to tell me, oh, I'm going to explain this to you. But I also would come away feeling a little bit uh, cheated a bit that mm. I felt like they really weren't dealing with the passage. Hmm. Uh, they left so many things out that needed uh, some clarity for me. I think the, um, you know, as from a pastor, pastoral perspective, <laughs> I'll, you know, I've gotten way more comfortable over the years with people having questions and confusion and such, because I think that's a human thing. And it's okay. That whole 
this myth of certainty. I mean, I just oh, kind of would drive me nuts after a while. Um, so I guess, but what I want to say though is that God does reveal um, uh, and 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 point us in, in some very uh, helpful ways to what we who we are and why we need God and why we need to 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 come to God through Jesus. I think that the Bible is trying to teach us how to live. That's also part of Christocentric. It's not just about Jesus, but it's about following Jesus. Yeah. So the so the Bible is teaching us how we ought to be. It's not trying to do the things we sometimes wanted to do, like be a science book or a math book or even a history book. Mm. It, it's really unashamedly saying this is how you can know God mm. and this is how you can know yourself. So I think if we can help people see that first of all, then then we can we can wrestle with some of the other issues that come up and maybe are confusing. But first of all, we want them to see how they can be part of this story that God is working out in the world and has been working out through Jesus. I think that's more pastoral in a sense to help people connect themselves to what God is doing in the world. Yeah, Dennis, that is so wise. I I hear you saying like, we demand the Bible to be something it never purports to be. Yeah. And and part of pastoring people is just to help them appreciate what the Bible is and release them from making it to be something it's not. And that's, that's a good word, release them from that. that. And I think that when that happened for me, I mean, that was freeing. I mean, I, I admit, I mean, there's controversial things, right? Like say for some churches, it's hard for them to see a woman having leadership in the, in the church or preaching and such. My instincts as a young guy was to say, why? Of course women should. I mean, my Sunday school teachers were women, you know, even, even though I grew up in a church that women couldn't, couldn't speak from the pulpit, couldn't even walk on the pulpit. I'll be Ooh. honest. That was the kind of church I grew up in. But but here they were teaching me Sunday school. And I thought, oh, wow, it just my instincts were. And I'm a kid of the late 60s and 70s, so it just seemed right. But when I was told this by other people, I thought, oh, I must be wrong. And uh, so I tried to make myself fit into that way of thinking. And then over time, I felt like, wait a second, the Bible's not trying to do this. It's not trying to oppress people. It's trying to liberate people. Mm. And if I could see that, then... Like you said, it released me from feeling this burden that the Bible was really a tool to oppress me. And there's a lot of scriptures that if you pulled them out and yanked them out by themselves would feel oppressive. Um, but but it misses the bigger picture, I think, if when we do that. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Dennis, there's one other aspect uh, that you talk about in your book that I think is helpful and and unique in y- your treatment on the Bible, and mm. that is your chapter on the the role of the community mm. and how we listen to, respond to, and interpret Scripture. Can can you say something about that? Are you saying that yeah. me and my study Bible isn't enough? <laughs> Even if it's a really good study Bible? <laughs> Even if it's a really good I have a lot of things to say about that. You threw, the, you threw me a wrench with the study Bible. <laughs> <laughs> The study Bible will help, especially if it's a study Bible that's written by a committee. Um, Mm. Sometimes the single person study Bible makes me a little nervous because the single person study Bible is often that single person's take on things. I believe in the community of God's people um, being uh, the place where God's spirit dwells. God's spirit dwells among God's people, right? So... The, so for me, congregational hermeneutic actually has to span geography and time. So for me, that That's congregation right. is ancient as well as, as modern. So 
we're not, we're not, we may be more aware of the world than our ancient forebears, but we're not necessarily intellectually um, uh, better in some ways. You know, right. we, we're, right. we're exposed to more. But, but they, like you said earlier, they ask some of the same questions that we're asking. That's right. So to see how they wrestle with things is helpful. Now, of course, you get the diminishing returns. You can't read everything from the ancients. You can't read everything from the moderns. But that's why this is a lifelong process. But uh, congregational hermeneutic means I want to hear the voices of people who are um, thinking about these scriptures also. I mean, one quick, for instance, when we tend to, to work uh, in our, our own world with people who think a lot like us, we don't, we don't start asking the questions of scripture that other people are asking. Like, like we Christians in churches, we probably, you know, keep putting pictures of, uh, of, uh, of an ark in the kid's nursery and, uh, and all the cute animals walking in two by two. But, you know, it takes a person who's not grown up with that to walk in and say, why in the world would you put this death scene on the, in the nursery? <laughs> I mean, there's dead bodies Morbid. floating in the water. Yeah. All these people are dying yeah. because God is destroying the world with a flood. But we think it's a cute little story, right? Yeah. So sometimes, as, long as, as long as they don't play with Pokemon cards, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> well... Well, I won't come. Pretty sure that's why. Pretty sure that's why the flood came in the first place. Yes, I get your point. Yeah, you need you need the questions that other people are asked. Yes. So I'm not saying that white European theology is de facto wrong. I'm just saying that it's limited because you have a certain kind of person who's asking certain kinds of questions. Right. So when we so when we think congregational hermeneutic, it means we want more voices. We want more people. Yeah. Yeah. Not, so not just the local church, not just like Fred who sits in the pew in front of me, mm-hmm. but but uh, like people who are different from me across the world mm-hmm. and even right. in my community, but also people who are different from me because they lived, you know, 1500 years ago, 1800 right. years ago. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I, I did a commentary on First Peter a few years ago, and one of the instructions we even had as we as we were given instructions as the as authors was was to pay attention to ancient commentaries i mean to pay attention to what some of the early folks were thinking about these passages hmm. and i and i appreciated that because it, it, we were trying to model something in that that it wasn't just me telling you what these verses mean which is the way a lot of people were taught right the yeah. priest or the preachers got all the authority they know all the answers yeah. and what we're trying to say is no together by the spirit of god we can arrive at meaning for this text for our time. And, um, and that happens, yes, in a community, as you were acknowledging. That's not just Fred, although I want Fred's voice. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Fred's, Fred's helpful but I want, But I want more than his voice, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I, I hear also, too, Dennis, you saying that this, uh, th- this is really an ecclesiology and a pneumatology of, of how the Bible is, gains authority or situates its authority in a context, mm-hmm. in contexts. And uh, this polyphonic listening, this uh, multi multi perspectives, I think is sometimes hard for us, right? Because we're mm. we're so, especially white European uh, Westerners, we're we're we just assume that our perspective is the right one, like well, you know, yeah. it's by default. It's like, or this, there needs to be only one. Like this passage can only be doing one thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, there has to be some one correct perspective. And so there is a bit of like this uh, impulse of fear, this reflexive of fear. If I'm going to listen to Fred who is from Haiti and uh you know he he doesn't even he doesn't even know the Apostles' Creed but like he sees this text differently, it's it's uh you know, I'm going to use a, a bugaboo, scary word here. It's a slippery slope 
Dennis, mm, yeah. into relativity, yeah. right? So we're You're just going to vote on every text. Yeah, what there's are we doing no here? truth yeah. anywhere, and so I wonder, like, maybe speaking to those people who just have fear sure. when you say when you say like let's let's listen to these other perspectives. How are you not saying truth is relative and we should just right. throw throw open the doors? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, for for one. Um, even the people who don't know, you just, in that question, use these big words. You said ecclesiology, you said pneumatology, you said polyphonic. <laughs> um, that, that's all good. I mean, I'm not yes. critical. I'm just saying that there are folks who might not know what any of those words mean, but they have the spirit of God and they have a sense of what God might be saying in yeah. that Bible verse. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is yeah. it's not relative in the sense of um, any truth goes because in a community, right, or in, in, a, in a broader sense, there are actually checks and balances. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying that that community doesn't include um, uh, academics. Uh, Craig Keener addresses this. He talks about spirit hermeneutics. And his, his point is that we've got an ancient text. So you treat ancient texts certain ways. You want to find out what's going on language-wise, culture-wise, all of that. So there are some uh, uh, historical yeah. ways that we approach ancient documents, right? Mm-hmm. But we also want to get a sense. So we want to ask the right questions. We want, to, we want to continue to ask questions. So what I'm saying is it's not anything goes because there's a check of the Holy Spirit on this process. But even the ancients, when they were thinking this, and, and, and to pick on Anabaptists for a moment, because we're writing uh, uh, with an Anabaptist publisher thinking about Anabaptist um, theology, really, as, mm-hmm. as this series takes off, is that the early Anabaptists were even thinking, that this is a possibility of people kind of running off in different directions, but the checks and balances with that, we have the spirit of God in a, in a way that can help um, corral some of that, that, that we're not saying anything goes. Now I haven't given you a formula in my answer just now. I'm trying, I'm not saying it can only be this or that. What I am saying though, is enough folks with the spirit of God in there understand that, you know, dog is not cat, that there are some things Mm -hmm. that can't be that other thing. But there are, but there's a range. It's not flat, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. There may be a sense of how this verse is speaking to us in our time now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a that's a kind of a longer way of saying it. But my but my point is, it's not relative. It's not a relative answer, or it's not a subjective a process solely. If I'm talking about the spirit of God at work. Um, communicating something from this ancient document yeah. that's in these certain parameters yeah. of, of God. You know, yeah, I, and I hear you reflecting there, Dennis, too, on to bring it back to that analogy you made to the the you know the the, the hypostatic union, you know the mm-hmm. um, the Christ divinity and humanity full mm-hmm. in, in its fullness, both present. Yeah. Um, well, I hear that as well. Where I think that can form a check and balance as well, because I think, and this, there's a question that came in. We're doing this on. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, we're doing this on Facebook Live as well. And somebody asked a question in the chat um, and was wondering about apologetics and how do we deal with textual criticism and stuff like that. And so, what I hear there in in that concern is uh, is some of that concern about the slippery slope. Well, if we if we allow the if we allow textual criticism, for example which I think deals with the human side of, well, this is an ancient document, and it was a letter that Paul was writing from, you know what I mean? Like It's been copied, it's been transcribed. Yeah, yeah, all the, all the kind of uh, realities of the human side of that. I think that part of what you seem to be saying, I think it's really helpful, is we take the humans, we don't have to be afraid 
of the human side of these documents. It, that is what they are. They're fully human documents. They're letters that were copied in a very normal way that letters are copied. But the Holy Spirit is at work in the community, and the Holy Spirit like seems to be at work in this text to communicate mm-hmm. to us God's Word. And so I think holding those things together is a is a way for us to not be afraid of either, you know, Fred, to pick on Fred again, to come up with some novel interpretation, and he just says, well, the Holy Spirit told me, so you can't say anything. It's like, no, we can say something to it, you know what I mean? Because we have these human elements, uh, we have the history of interpretation, but then also, you know, we can't, we, we don't just trust those who just say, hey, this is just a human document, and there's nothing to it besides that. We can say, no, actually, yeah. we, the history of interpretation says this is God's Word to us, um, yeah. And we have to interpret how it comes to us as God's word. I'll yeah, that, that's together. great. Thank you. I think you're you're bringing some clarity to what I was trying to say because the sub. If we looked at that history of interpretation, right, and looked at ancient interpreters as well as contemporary ones, we're, we're going to see we're still in a pretty much a, a range of, right. of what how this text is communicating. So it's not going to all of a sudden means right. something totally different, right? right? Yes. And and that's actually helpful for us that's to say, right. oh, ancient people or 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 you know, people from uh, centuries ago, they they were thinking the same way about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually helpful for us even today. Yeah, yeah thanks. That's good. Yeah, your book, uh, Dennis, just maybe to close here, your book really pushes us into the need for the church and mm. the need for the spirit to understand authority and interpretation and exegesis. And I got a sense as I read this, um, uh, you know, this the scene of Acts 15, where uh, Paul gets called off the mission field to give an account for all these Gentiles, right? And um, as I read your book, I thought, like, I, I think, Dennis, you're calling us into sort of an Acts 15 posture of discerning yeah. Scripture. Is that would you say that? Oh, I think that's awesome, Matt, because I was thinking that very thing as I was going <laughs> through that that very scene, because you know how they said at the end of it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say, is that the Spirit's at work, but we discern it. We discern that work, and we discern Him, His present among us. So we can say at the end of it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Yeah. So I think that that's the kind of moments that I want. And in fact, I would say as a pastor, even though I had the pleasure of being up in front of people and communicating, you know, week after week, there's something that I enjoyed even more when I could get those folks to enter into conversation with me, because then you find out what the questions people are asking and, yeah. and how this scripture resonates with them. So that congregational hermeneutic does start maybe locally, but it expands and goes uh, 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 worldwide, hopefully globally. Yes, it's yeah, good. Yeah, we need a guide. We need a guidebook for this, and I think your book does it, Dennis. It gives us vision yeah. and imagination for why that's necessary. Oh, um, how to live into that Acts fifteen, and then I just thought of this too. Um, uh, you know, the the letter that that is written from the Jerusalem church that Paul then carries with him and says, you know, we just ask that you do these four things, right? It's mm-hmm. like sexual morality and stay away from strength, and. Um, I'm reminded that like Paul breaks three of those things that 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 are in the letter. So it's like mm-hmm. there's this we like we're uncomfortable with like we just want the four rules and we want Paul to follow the four rules, mm-hmm. right? We don't we don't want to have wisdom. Yeah. We don't want to need discernment. We don't want to have contextualized ministry. We don't want to figure out how to love some people. You know, yeah. we, we don't want to have to write a scathing letter that you allowed yourself to be circumcised uh, mm-hmm. all the while you just got done circumcising Timothy. Like we don't want that because it's 
it's complex and messy. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that's reality, yeah? Yeah? Like our life and the yeah. Bible. Yeah. It is. And it's so funny because I was just working with my New Testament class in North Park talking about that circumcision of Timothy uh, thing. <laughs> and then you've got Paul in Galatians so railing against people who would make you get circumcised. Um, right. But what you said is really more important than us trying to um, create these rules. And I grew up in that kind of a yes. setting that created rules, right? And it's it's easier to have rules than it is to have a conversation and to move from the, with the spirit on things. So I'm just really saying amen to what you said, yeah. that there's something about this relationship with God that's supposed to be dynamic and not static. Mm. Rules can be static, but they're easier, right? Yeah. But the, the, the dynamism of the spirit re- requires us to be paying attention to each other, paying attention to the times and paying attention to the scriptures. Yeah, it's really good. A friend, a friend of ours, and that, that's why I think your book is so helpful. Um, people are asking these questions about the Bible. They're having, they're kind of old, kind of flat fundamentalist, old wine whatever. Skins. Yeah, they they can't read it like they used to read it. And the temptation is to say maybe this is you know rubbish. You know, yeah, it's worn out its uh, usefulness. Um, but your book is really helpful to kind of recast a vision for people to be able to read the Bible. I've yeah. got we've got a lot of people in our church who have said things like that. It, it was so hard for me for so many years to even read the Bible because I just had no way of understanding what was going on here except like this is, you know, the flood. This is horrible. What is happening? You know what I mean? Like they have no other way to kind of read it and understand how God could be communicating through it. So I think your book is really helpful. We had another friend say like, I wish I would have had this when I planted my church. Hmm. Um, so it's like, it's like 91 pages long. Um, right. I think it could be a really helpful resource for pastors who want to put something in the hands of their people that is easy to read um, and, and helps kind of reframe things, especially if you're going through some deconstruction as it regards uh, the Thank Bible. You. So yep. I do appreciate that. I, I wish that people would, could do it in small groups and, uh, and talk about it. We have some questions at the end of every chapter, all the books in the series do. Good. And, uh, but I, I do appreciate that. I, I, I want to come through clearly to be saying how much I feel uh, res- that that I do respect the Word of God, I honor and love God, and I've found God through the Word. But I do feel released from a burden of seeing it like a magic book, where yes. I just had to incant the phrases, and when I incant them correctly, and uh, then then the magic happens. I want it to be more of this conversation that I'm having, um, that God is having with us, to yes. show us what God is like, and we see that. Through Scripture, we do that. See that through our relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. Amen. What is the Bible, and how do we understand it? By Dennis Edwards, it's part of the Jesus Way Small Books of Radical Faith, which is a Herald, Herald Press uh, series that's coming out. We know there's a Trinity book and others. We'll put the link in the show notes. Dennis, you're on social media. Yeah, is that the best way to connect with you virtually? Yeah, I am, and it's and my handle is Rev Dr. Dre pretty much everywhere: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, R E V D R D R E. Great. Rev Dr. Dre. Yep. It's easy to remember. It is great. Hey, Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. 
you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.